0: Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm Ben Shaw. Today we're sailing north, out the gate, up to the Pacific Northwest. We're headed to Bainbridge Island where Ben Dor runs an adventure charter business called Sail Bainbridge. He bought True his beautiful red pearson 44 i think about five years ago and what started as a few day charters to help pay for the boat has turned into a full-fledged business and he's about to launch the next chapter of that business with the first sail to ski adventure trips in the region imagine sailing across the strait of georgia into the fjordlands of British Columbia to a spot only accessible by boat, then hiking through a temperate rainforest with your skis on your back to reach untouched slopes of snow. Well, you don't have to imagine it, because Ben and I discuss it in detail in this interview. So take a listen. Welcome to the show, Ben. It's great to have you on. I've been following your exploits with your own business and your work with Andy Shell and Mia with 59North. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell us a bit about your business, where you're located, and what you do. My
1: business is basically um, a, a captain's charter, a single boat operation, and I run the boat on my own, single-handed. Very occasionally, hire crew or bring uh, friends along. If you want to hang out with me during the summer, you have to just come pretend to be crew nice. um, and hang out on the boat with me because we're quite busy. Uh, so yeah, we just we do day sails, everything from two hours, half days, full days, uh, overnights, multi days, you know, week long trips in the San Juan Islands, and we are now expanding and in the springtime we're gonna be running more adventure trips, uh, doing sail to ski adventures in British Columbia, in the Fiordlands of British Columbia.
0: That's exciting, I wanna hear more about that, but um, first tell us where where you're based and the boat. Tell us a little bit about the boat.
1: We're based on Bainbridge Island, Washington, so we're a 35 minute ferry ride directly across from downtown Seattle.
0: Is this where you grew up? Are you you from uh, Pacific Northwest?
1: Not at all. I've only been here for a decade. Well, I've been in the Northwest for almost 20 years, but um, just a decade on Bainbridge. Um, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and grew up up upriver in St. Louis, Missouri, which was kind of a cool location for adventuring um, as a younger person because I could drive to either coast or fly to either coast um, with relative ease. So I got to, I think, having grown up in the middle of the country, I explored more of the entire country than I might have if I grew up on a coast, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. And you actually Um, learned to sail on the Atlantic coast, right, in Florida?
1: um, Well, I first sailed on the Atlantic coast with my grandfather. I wouldn't say I learned to sail. I I only went out with him a handful of times before. I think when he turned 70, my grandmother uh, was like, you got to sell your boat because he was going out on his own and it made her all nervous, so. As soon as I'd been on his sailboat, I always wanted to be on boats. Is
0: it really something that goes back generations for you, or is it was it just your grandfather?
1: I think my grand. I, well, I don't know. You know, it's actually it's funny. My grandfather, my mom's dad, is the grandfather that I'm speaking of in Florida, and he um, he was into sailing, just just loved it. And he grew up in Nice, France, so he was always seeing. Uh, it was it wasn't like fancy yachts coming in back then, but there were sail-powered fishing vessels and there were all kinds of you know cool things pre-war um and then uh and then i just fairly recently just this last christmas i was in northern florida where my grandmother on the other side uh lives and my grandfather on that side has passed as well now on, on my father's side and i was looking through all these old photos and found these pictures of my grandfather sailing with a friend of his. And in California, they had like stolen a friend's dad's boat and like sailed out to the islands. And I don't know. I just had no idea about this adventure. And he had this big shit eating grin on his face with a, you know, dorky captain's hat on, obviously like just how we would wear one today, joking (laughs) around, you know, but this was like 1940, whatever. And, uh, and it's just the coolest series of photos on this little, beautiful little uh, wooden sloop. Um, obviously, I had a good time sailing as well. I, I never knew that. He never had told me about uh, his sailing experience. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so it's, it's in there, I guess. And then uh, I really cut my teeth in summer of 2000 when I went up to Michigan. I, I got to get a little spot as rail meat on a Trip 40. Um, called Relentless Sailing out of Traverse City. I didn't learn much about sailing. I mean, I tried to observe as much as I could, but I was a pretty young kid. I was just, just had graduated high school and they I was just rail meat, you know. It was like, do this, do that, pack, pack, repack the spinnaker down below. Uh, that's where I first learned that I do get seasick. Um, and <laughs> being, being down in the, in the
0: sewer in the four peak, like just packing a spinnaker while everybody else is on deck well if there's hours. anywhere you're gonna get sick that's where it's gonna be right
1: yeah that's for sure
0: did that encourage your love of sailing or discourage it or say because well, what you're doing now is a little different than the racing did
1: totally.
0: how yeah. did that inform and your future I loved sailing being,
1: yeah i loved being on the boat absolutely encouraged my love of sailing completely discouraged my love of racing i was like well i mean i'm gonna probably take a lot of black for this comment but i was kind of like uh oh this is cool it's a bunch of rich white guys getting mad at each other in the bar after a great day of sailing <laughs> <Yeah>. um so <laughs> it really was you know there was it was highly competitive uh i felt very anxious about it because i'm i was the little guy still the little guy but i was the little guy so i always got put kind of on the lee side of the of the foresail on the foredeck looking out for boats in the starting pen, you know, and calling them out. And it's kind of on me to call them out in the correct position and which way they're going because it was like a deck-cut foot on the big Genoa or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the helmsman can see anything. Uh, and there's like everything from 78-foot catches to, you know, a family on a Melgis out for a good time. So everybody's in the starting pit, and it's high-octane. I hated that. I just hated it. It made me feel really uncomfortable, everybody yelling, everybody screaming. It was not, I mean, racing doesn't have to be like that. I've raced since with crews that are very calm and organized and, and well put together. And, and not to say that wasn't a well put together crew, but
0: it yeah. just wasn't the energy I yeah, wanted some people Yeah, some people love it and some people don't. And, but I, I'm curious, on the flip side of it, what is it about sailing that does attract you that you do love, it's that the, you fell in love with?
1: It's the movement of the boat. It's absolutely the movement of the boat. Like be, like being moved along by what I perceived before as invisible forces. Um, I mean, now, obviously, the more you sail, you, you see wind. It's not invisible. You see its shadow, essentially, you know, on the water. I still think it's really fascinating. Like, I understand the physics of it now. There's still some religion in it, you know? There's still a bit of mysticism in it. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like the way that a boat moves through the water, especially when you get on a boat um, that moves really sweetly through the water, and they all kind of have their own characteristics, there's nothing better. Nothing better. I mean, sailing around in my kids' Opti yesterday it was just the most fun. Head leaning against the transom because they don't have an liftable Tiller, so <laughs> I have to like <laughs> duck under this little tiny tiller. If I was like any an inch taller and a pound heavier, I wouldn't be able to sail on that thing with them, but it's kind of funny. Just being moved by wind is fascinating to me and fantastic. Like I just love it. So that I've been hooked on that, the motion of boats for a long time.
0: I love how different boats all have their own motion, their own rhythm, and you have to get to know that, which actually yeah. makes me think of – you as a professional musician is there any connection between music for you and that movement that rhythm
1: I I would think definitely I mean I I attribute my love of a lot of things to all things rhythmic to, to music like my love of music and my paying attention to those sounds and rhythm like I love accents uh you know from around the world and I I love languages though I'm not good at languages because I'm not good at the content of them but I can if you like said something to me in a foreign language I could repeat it back sounding pretty good you know I don't know what it says and I won't remember what it says but I can make the sound because of that that musicality to it and that rhythm. I love that stuff. So I think that translates onto the boats too. The thing that I've found in music and sailing that are relatable is the adventure. There's adventure in writing music, performing music. um, And I get that same fulfillment um, sailing. And then in the charter business, I get a very similar fulfillment as being on stage and performing because I'm Uh, essentially holding court (laughs) and talking with people, communicating art and and science of sailing to people I'm out with. And either it's a performance, you know, in quotations of like uh, where I'm sharing that information with people who are learning about it, or it's a jam session where there's people who know how to sail and they're on the boat. And they're, uh, you know, I had a guy on yesterday that was a great helmsman. He's sailed a bunch of boats. And we had great wind, and he drove the boat all day, and I worked the lines, and it was super fun. Uh, and I certainly have days where I do it all myself, and people kick back, drink wine, and and we just chat, and that's more of a performance and less of a jam session. But it's still kind of the same energy, making that, music.
0: That's great. Do you um, probably not when you're when you have charter guests aboard, but do you listen to music when you're at the helm or on the boat? To the two. Never
1: never I, I don't i listen to music on the boat maybe at anchor or at the dock or something but i or i'll maybe play guitar too or you know sing or even write i've written a few songs when we've been out uh, cruising as a family but i hate having canned music on while sailing
0: that's
1: hmm. like it's like a pet peeve of mine people will like especially if someone just turns a song on on their iphone oh god they're like crappy little speakers just nee, while the wind's blowing and you can barely hear cuz i need to hear music I need to listen to it or I need it to be off. I can't just have like background noise. And so we rarely have music just playing in the house um, because, you know, then I zone out because I'm listening to the music and I'm not present with the kids or whatever. But to me, like, I would never have cockpit speakers jamming tunes while I'm sailing along. I get that people like that, but I get really anxious because I can't quite hear like what's going on with the boat what's going on with the wind and the rig and all that sort of thing. Um, and especially if I'm motoring, when people have music on, when you're motoring, like diesel engines already have me just a tiny bit on edge where I'm listening to the sound. And if the sound changes at all, it is like a thing where I'm very aware of it. So if I can't hear it, because there's, I don't know, I'm, I'm
0: really yeah. weird about it. No, I get that. You're so li- You're you're actually <laughs> listening to the music. I relate to that with kid kids in the back seat yelling and trying to listen to music. Just not going to work.
1: Yeah, do you play
0: music? I play a lot of different instruments. I love cool. playing them, but I don't play any of them that well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Someone the other day said, I would love to write songs and perform, but I don't know, I only play, I only know like five chords. It's like, I've made a whole career on five chords. <laughs> Get over here.
0: Like... <laughs> yeah, I love that aspect of having musical instruments on a boat. I was at a wooden boat show recently, and somebody had a little squeeze box, and they were sitting in a cockpit. Oh, and I was just like, oh, that's, that's what I need. That's the next instrument I yep. need to learn
1: <laughs> yeah i have I have a little Italian concertina that was my sailing grandfather's Wow um I should learn how to play it. It's quite hard. I like having a guitar along and just you know I like playing all kinds of different music i I think my next endeavor is to learn a bunch of sea shanties nice' cause I, I sure like I sure like some sea shanties. Or like old old English sailing tunes that aren't quite shanties, but like you know old folk tunes talking about going to sea and that sort of thing. They're, they're just sweet.
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Do you have any favorites? Put you yeah. on the spot here.
1: Uh, no, no, I do. Like my go-to is uh, "Off to Sea Once More" or "Go to Sea Once More." There's a lot of different titles, and uh, Andy's. Uh, I think he's playing that at the end of his podcast. The, the Shanty Choir um, does a version of that not my favorite version they sing it beautifully but it's not my favorite arrangement there's an arrangement that uh, David Grisman and Jerry Garcia do that is my absolute favorite probably because I grew up on it but it's uh it's just much more of a... it doesn't have like a recurring chorus it just kind of tells the story and then and then it's done it's just there's a sadness to it that I like a lot more i like it to be a little dark and there's another one called handsome cabin boy have you heard that no Oh, man, that's fantastic. It's so dated and so inappropriate, but it's this uh, basically a young gal who wants to go sailing, so she she sort of, like, binds her breasts and cuts her hair and puts on, you know, boys' clothes and hires herself away as a cabin boy, and everyone's saying how handsome the cabin boy is. Then the cabin boy is found to be pregnant, and all the (laughs) the doctors called, you know, and all the sailors are just like, oh, how crazy this will be that a cabin boy can have a baby and then uh the captain's wife is in love with the handsome cabin boy, but then it sort of ends that it's the it's the captain found out the secret of the handsome cabin boy. Uh-huh. So Captain's responsible for the uh for the baby cabin boy. <laughs> so anyway, it's just oh, like such it. a convoluted, twisted little little tale. And it's great. And it has a great melody and, and tune.
0: How did you decide to turn this passion for sailing into a business was there a I moment didn't.
1: i stumbled on it <laughs> no. well sort of yes but it was my wife's idea we uh
0: like we all the best buy, ideas
1: like all the best ideas when we bought our first boat it was my wife's idea too and i told this old sailor said uh, how's your wife feel about the boat idea and i said it was her idea and he said mm, she'll forget that soon enough which <laughs> was great <laughs> it was such a great moment we're We had a couple boats before this, smaller boats, catalina twenty two and a newport twenty eight. And we were sitting in an anchorage in the North Cove of Jones Island in the san Juan Islands north of here. Just gorgeous little cove, one of our favorites. Uh, we're headed there next month, actually. We'll go up there and just a great couple weeks cruising around those islands up there for the first time. And we're like, we gotta make this a lifestyle. We gotta live aboard part time. We gotta do all the things. And maybe go cruise at some point. Our kids are pretty little, you know. This was four years ago, so they were mm-hmm. six and four. We were like, "Well, we're gonna need a bigger boat than this, you know. We've got two of us sleeping on the floor in the main cabin, and two in the V berth. Quarter berth was, you know, full of everything we needed, and uh, and it was like, a, anyway, it just wasn't gonna work out. Yeah, to do a lot on that boat." So we thought let's get a blue water boat so we can really go cruise if we decide to do that i mean we didn't have any we don't we don't have any desire to go cruise the world but maybe alaska maybe mexico and certainly up into bc and all that you know there's a lifetime of sailing here and we wanted a boat that was going to be sturdy and be able to go in bigger conditions and we started looking and we're like oh that's different pricing it's like not ten (laughs) thousand dollars it's like a hundred thousand dollars so we My wife was like, well, you've been on boats your whole life, because we used to have a little powerboat. At that point, I'd been on sailboats uh, doing various things. I'd been out... uh, Had I been to sea yet? No, I haven't been to sea yet. I was about to go out on a delivery my first time at sea. And so there was kind of like um, a lot of time that I'd had on boats that would count towards the sea service stuff uh, for the license. And so my wife said, why don't you get your coast guard ticket and and do a few charters to pay for the boat so that was how we launched that and and having no idea that it would become full-time plus business we just thought it was just going to be you know a few trips a year and uh and pay for the boat cover the expenses
0: how long have you been doing it now
1: Uh, this is year four nice year four season four so and that's crazy to say out loud honestly it feels so i mean it feels like it was just yesterday that i was working that out (laughs) (laughs) so it's really it's really come uh come a long way quick and now to be working professionally offshore 59 north is like this crazy dream come true another dream i didn't even know i had
0: Yeah let's uh, talk about so, that you you started your business right around the same time as Andy and Mia began their yeah, business Yeah kind
1: of right on their heels i think right after and i didn't know about them i didn't know about the pod I, i'm huge into podcasts i listen to lots of podcasts but at, you know 4 years ago i i didn't know about at the time the 59 north podcast and my i was going offshore we were trying to buy this boat we're in the middle of putting in contracts, getting denied, putting in another contract. You know, get a counteroffer, counteroffer denied, contract again. I, th- I don't know how many times we submitted, but we really wanted this boat. And uh, I was going offshore, and my friend said, uh, "Here, you should listen to this podcast that um, would become on the wind." And I said, "All right, cool." And I downloaded every single one of them. And at the time, I think there were only a hundred and something to listen to anyway to start in on it and I was listening through and just listened to a bunch of them while I was offshore. So then I wrote to Andy and he said, uh, Hey, why don't you come on the podcast? Uh, by the time he wrote back to me, I had the boat and the website up and had been running charters for a short time. And so he had me on and, uh, we got along well and then met up in Sweden and then he invited me to come sailing and I went sailing with him as sort of extra crew across the North Sea. Nice. Uh, at the beginning of the Arctic season last year. And then he invited me back as mate to sail with Matt Rutherford as captain uh, from Key West to Bermuda, and now I'm going back to work for them, uh, Annapolis to BVI. And then after that trip, I will have what I need to uh, up my license to a near-coastal OUPV and an inland 50-ton Masters, which would be cool for around here. And so I'll be able to relieve captain on East Bjorn.
0: That uh, is great,
1: and, and I can say that out loud because Andy said it on his own podcast. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> the cat, the cat
0: is out of the bag. There, yeah. No,
1: I think uh, I mean that's kind of been he's he's really a wonderful human. Uh, he and Mia both like just given me these opportunities to to really expand. I mean, the the expansion of my career was kind of overnight because of the opportunities they've provided for me uh, to to sail offshore. That's just changed the game completely. And and having sailed on Bjorn, I feel like I could confidently, with some anxiousness for sure uh, and some reserve, but confidently uh, skipper that boat offshore now, having done two passages on her. She's a really, really sturdy boat, very, very simple systems and everything. But it'll be nice to get another 1,800 miles in on her before we approach that.
0: You touched on the sales ski adventures. Tell us more about that trip and what your plans are with that. Cause that's exciting.
1: Yeah, that's the dream really. I mean, I love these day sales and I'll, I'll never, uh, well never say never, but at this point I'm not walking away from that side of the business because, uh, you know, going out for two hours or four hours or eight hours or whatever with people and they're enjoying the sale That's great. And it's also, this is the bread and butter as far as the cash flow goes, these three, maybe four months that we get in the summer. Uh, and that, But, but I really um, am always seeking the adventure. Um, and it kind of came clear. I'm in my late thirties with two kids. And I was like, you know, I, I'm not old. I still have a lot of years of adventuring left, but I'm also not getting any younger. So I want to be doing these adventures. Um, and I used to do it mountaineering and climbing and more skiing and all that sort of thing and so i really wanted to get back into the mountains and and get out to sea and so uh with 59 north i'm getting out to sea and with my own operation um i was sitting with my friend uh andy cochran in in the pub right here up up above our docks and uh, when he had rolled through town and and we were just uh having a couple beers and and shut down the place i think they close at 10 in the winter and we're sitting there like one in the morning still chatting uh, which is the fun part about being in a small town. And uh, Andy said, what's the next thing you want to do? And I said, sail the ski. And he said, okay, well, let's do it. How do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> he's a backcountry skier and, uh, and an outdoor adventure. Oh, God, I think he hates the term adventure writer, but, um, you know, whatever. I don't know what the term is. He's a writer, mm-hmm. he's a photographer, and he produces content uh, for brands a lot of the time. So he said, "Well, let's get some sponsorship and uh, let's put a team together and let's go do it." Because um, I said that's what I, I want to pursue it commercially. Because there's not really a North American outfit doing it in the in the lower 48. I think there's some. I think uh, Great Bear Charters in Alaska is doing some sail to ski stuff. If I'm correct, and there might be a few others that I don't know about. And then of course you have the Nordic countries, uh, Iceland and Norway, doing, and they have the snow right down to the water a lot of times, which is nice. We don't have that. So we are looking at kind of a different type of adventure, but uh, an adventure nonetheless. Um, so we put together an eight-day trip because that's all the time we could squeeze out of the schedule in April, because uh, or this year, this spring at all, because um, I was going to Key West uh, to meet up with uh, with the 59 North boats. And then, um, Andy had a, uh, Andy Cochran had a photo shoot, uh, in California for some big run thing before. So we had to squeeze it into these eight days and we, uh, assembled an absolute dream team, uh, of seven people, including ourselves. My buddy, Suna Tam from Iceland came out. Uh, he lives in Iceland now. We, we grew up together in the Midwest, but he was, had come from England and, you know, is Swedish and Norwegian, and anyway, he's from all over. He's my adventure buddy from the beginning. We learned to climb together, we did mountaineering together, did a Knowles course together in, in British Columbia, uh, climbed in the Tetons together, just mm. been all over Nice um, since we were in seventh grade. So uh, it was really sweet to have him along. Another couple, uh, Sam and Jenna Ovet, uh, who I met, um, they used to work for Leave No Trace, and I met them when they rolled through Bainbridge Island one year few years back, four years back, I think. Um, and then, uh, another gal, um, well, let me think. No, Wyatt came on board. I think next to ended up doing videography work and he's, uh, Andy Cochran's kind of go-to adventure buddy. And then Hannah McGowan came to me through, um, uh, my banjo player and dear friend, Lydia Ramsey, her, her brother's married to Hannah's sister. But anyway, she does ski patrol at Taos and guides on Rainier and uh, Denali. So she was like a perfect fit and just a rad human. So we had these seven people, and then we secured Heli Hansen as a sponsor, and they wanted to send an athlete. So they sent Kaylin Richardson, who's a pro skier, and she was amazing as well. Like It just was the perfect team, absolute dream team. And we powered out of here, and we uh, went north uh, to Port Townsend, spent a night there, Crossed Strait of de the next morning and powered all the way just south of Nanaimo in, uh, uh, on the eastern shores of Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. And we checked in to Nanaimo and then the next day crossed Strait of Georgia. And those straits are like bigger bodies of water. They take about six hours to get across uh, if you can do, you know, five, six knots and they are uh, potential stopping points where you can't go. Like if it's really gnarly conditions, you're not gonna go. We had perfect conditions across both. Uh, Sailing all the way across the Strait of Georgia, motor sailing all the way up Jervis Inlet, which starts to head you back into the fjord and there's like 7,000 foot peaks that start rising right out of the sea. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the snow line doesn't come all the way down as we mentioned, but all the way up into, I think it's Queens Reach prince of wales reach queens reach and you get to malibu rapids that you have to wait for slack tide because it runs like 11 knots or something oh, at its peak through a gap that's maybe 80 feet wide and takes a turn wow but anyway got through malibu rapids after waiting about two and a half hours just sort of like drifting about on station waiting for it to slack out went through uh, at dusk huge mountains you know snow covered peaks all around us and bunch of seals swimming around and lion's mane jellyfish everywhere there's a provincial dock at the end and we dock up there and slept the night and got up the next morning packed everything up on our backs skis and all and hiked up 4,000 vertical feet through insanely beautiful and lush temperate rainforest on a quasi trail i mean there's a trail that you have to kind of figure out where you're going cross waterfalls and a granite face at one point where we had to like take packs off and pass them up and climb up tree roots and all this oh, stuff. Wow. And then uh, you get to the snow line in the trees, put skins on and your skis and skin up to base camp another, I don't know, 800 or 1,000 vertical feet. And then you've got the base camp there that you've got access to all these different ridge lines and couloirs. And we didn't get to ski everything, but we got up there to see it and we did a couple runs and then had to go down because we had the eight days to get. Two hundred miles north, hike up, ski, and get two hundred miles back south. <laughs> but we'll do these trips. Uh, we're going to offer them commercially in the spring, March and April, and we'll do them as ten-day trips out of Friday Harbor in the San Juan Islands. So it's a day or two closer from here. Uh, so the idea is about five days total of sailing, two and a half days up, two and a half days back, with five days on the mountains. So a day up and down. From base camp without skiing, so it's like an easier day. Mm-hmm. Uh, each direction, and then like three days of skiing up on the hill. The, it's it's really what we're going to be selling is like a full fledged adventure. If you want to ski perfect powder and do a bunch of runs in a day, then go get on a helicopter somewhere. But when you come out with us, you're going to be on a boat, which is going to be super awesome way to arrive in these remote areas, and then you're going to go up the hill. It's going to take some work and the reward is going to be, you know, skiing remote peaks that you got to under sail power and your own two legs. And it's a pretty amazing feeling up there. (laughs) Pretty hard to describe.
0: I think that will appeal to uh, more than a few people.
1: Yeah, I hope so. So, you know, and the pictures don't even really do it justice, but you can see them uh, uh we have the website up sail to ski with a number 2 com, and uh and you can see some of the photos there and and kind of see what we're what we're raving about because it's it's you're out there there's no one else out there as far as i understand it if we get this thing going in the spring and we sell some trips we'll kind of be the first operation of this kind
0: that's exciting
1: perhaps in north america certainly operating out of the pacific northwest
0: I was wondering if you could explain to Bay Area sailors the unique aspects of sailing in the Pacific Northwest with the islands oh, yeah. and the fjords and you know it's not a it's not that far from here and the it's opportunities so for cruising are just astounding.
1: Yeah, I think up here what we've got going for us is fairly moderate weather. Oftentimes in the summer, the winds are lighter. And so that's that's interesting, especially running a sailing charter business. Uh, people don't yeah. love drifting about. I mean, it's better than not drifting about. The one thing that we have is all these little islands that are close. Seattle's close. We have Blake Island to the south from here, which is an hour south uh, and is a state park. Um, up north in the San Juan Islands and then the Canadian Gulf Islands, which is just the same thing as the San Juans. We just have an arbitrary border. And actually the San Juan Islands sort of sit up into the Canadian border. If You drew a straight line across. Huh. So yeah, it was a like disputed thing way back and, and we kept the San Juan Islands. They took the Gulf Islands. Um, but so we, they're just sort of like yin-yanged in together and so it's all the same. So it's like, I mean, you have to check in at a, at a port of entry, but then it's just like, Sort of endless, but then when you go further north from there, I'm talking like one day further north, it starts to get way incredible. I mean, where we went up to Princess Louisa, I mean, that was like two days further north, but I mean, these fjordlands, and then you go up to Desolation Sound, which has 80 degree water the way it gets trapped in there, mm. it's like tropical. People are swimming around, jumping off paddle boards, you know, snorkeling, all kinds of stuff you don't usually get to do in the northwest. That's pretty far north, like, you want to take. Probably three weeks to do that trip, so you can take a week to go up, uh, a week up there, and then a week coming home.
0: So, for folks in the Bay Area who um, want to possibly come sailing with you, where can they get information about chartering? Well,
1: you? Sail Bainbridge is our website. S A I L, of course. Bainbridge is B A I N B R I D G E. So, salebainbridge.com um, is our, our website, and we do all kinds of customizable things. We don't get to go really far north in the summer. We usually do like a minimum week-long trip in the San Juan Islands because we've got to get the boat up there and back. And if we're not committing to a week, it's too much lost work here. September this year, we can offer uh, as small as two night minimums because the boat will already be up there in uh, September. So from September 6th, the evening of September 6th on, we've got kind of a rare opportunity there this year um also south sound uh when you go out of our harbor and turn right and go south there's like a whole lifetime of sailing down there so there's just a ton to explore if anyone gets bored sailing around here cruising around here it's because they're not they're just doing the same old thing over and over again Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you really want to talk about that i continue to think about um when
1: it comes to young people in sailing,
0: mm-hmm. uh, opportunities for young
1: people to sail. Uh, this is like a, a thing that I'm, uh, is just such a baby idea. So I'm just kind of like thinking out loud, but I'm, I'm always wanting to figure out a way to be sort of active or an activist in, in getting younger people into sailing. Cause I, I got into it sort of young, but I didn't get any opportunities in it until I was older. Right. And so a couple of things, bother me that i want to be an activist about even though it's probably just going to be me becoming a grumpy old you know <laughs> sailor that's
0: barking about things. young
1: about kids these days the they just don't appreciate well, sailing well no it's not even the young kids honestly it's the older <laughs> sailors and the, the richer sailors like all the marinas are like yeah getting fancier and rebuilt and expensive
0: and the boats like, are getting hey, bigger
1: you, boats are getting bigger and more expensive but it's like where does a young person buy a boat that's affordable where does a young person Put a boat that's affordable. And before any of that happens, all these marinas with their gates and their security bullshit, like, where does a person, a young person, wander down the docks and dream about where to Mm -hmm. buy a boat? Or -hmm. what boat they want? Like, uh, the docks that we're on don't have a gate, they're below the public house. So people wander down all the time, which is great for our business.
0: Um, it's so and, true I I I mean it's one of my favorite things wandering around docks I recently got yes. locked into a marina because I snuck in because I wanted to wander around and, right. and then I couldn't get, get, get my out. way out you have to, have a to get out or whatever yeah. um, that
1: seems safe if the marina is on fire right uh, right that's the thing it's like I mean I, I still like to wander docks as well but I'm, I'm watching my island like all the marinas are sort of not all of them but two of the bigger ones are getting more secure and more shut down. And uh, and the waterfront owners don't want anybody anchored out. You know, we they, they created this law about a decade ago, a uh, city law saying you can't anchor in the harbor in Bainbridge Island harbors for more than 30 days, which I'm I haven't looked it up, but I'm pretty certain it's in violation of international safe harbor laws. Like all these things that are like, you're not giving people the opportunity also like, boats could be affordable housing but they're not when it, when communities are shutting them down anyway I could go
0: on yeah that's actually things. a huge issue here so, in the Bay Area because we have such a housing yeah. shortage and then there are derelict <laughs> yeah. boats and um, it becomes a problem and but it is right. it's housing for people and
1: it's housing. there's people in this harbor that if they didn't have their boat they'd be homeless uh, when they cleared out all the liverboards that used to just be at anchor in the harbor, when they it enacted that thirty-day rule, um, it, it displaced, I think, at least twenty people, yeah. and some of those were families. Mm. Um, and one of the guys, a uh, guy I know, Michael, uh, moved into a ravine and built himself a plywood shack in a ravine. That's that's life for Michael, living living, uh, you know, through our wet, cold winters uh, in a ravine. So. He was on a boat before which yeah. wasn't so bad it's a big thing as the island here shows more wealth we're also showing more poverty more homeless more uh you know sort of uh people living in their vans that sort of thing and people are like why is this happening okay because <laughs> we don't have affordable housing yeah. so yeah. um yeah so and, and that the affordable housing thing is, is sort of neither here nor there to the, to the young boaters topic. It's not completely linked. But there are young voters that, that could be in boats and could be living on boats and could be active with their boats uh, that don't get the opportunity for all these same restrictions.
0: Yeah, it's about um, opportunity and exposure and, and, and trying to create that equitably for young people.
1: Yeah, and then the art and joy of sailing. Right uh, and the work of sailing. Right. there are sailing jobs out there too, um, and that would be cool to see, like more more programs too, where people have the opportunity to to train on boats and then get work on
0: boats. Well, I look forward so. to following how this idea goes.
1: I'd love to take on interns, you know, uh, and be able to like sign off on sea service time.
0: And- it's wonderful to watch and to hear how. Andy and Mia's work really leapfrogged you and how that those ripples continue to spread out. You know, you will pass it oh, along, yeah. and it it, it it is happening. Andy yeah. and Mia, are, we're lucky enough to have interns and they're now hiring people, and there yeah. is a community out there of sailors uh, enabling it for those who want to get involved.
1: Yeah, and we may be we may be seeing the next wave of that sort of thing. I mean, yeah, the, it, the, the model works and Andy and Mia are proving it. I mean, it's really cool to see the opportunities that can be given there. I I'll, I had the opportunity to write a letter of recommendation for a friend who went to work for the adventurous a big schooner up here. Mm-hmm. And that was really satisfying. She got the job and it was like, oh my gosh, that just feels so good. I want to be able to get people onto boats. So if people can, you know, if I can have some high school... Kid, come hang for the summer and help me, and in return learn how to operate this boat and have experience on uh, on a boat, um, and then go off and say, "Hey, here's my resume piece to go on this tall ship or whatever." Uh, I definitely want to be involved in that.
0: That's awesome.
1: So waterfront advocacy. That's right. <laughs> More like on the water. Advocate. On the water. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Getting
0: out there on the water. So, very good. Awesome. This was fantastic, Ben. Thank you so much yeah, for joining. Know As Ben mentioned in the interview, he has two websites, one for the regular charters. That's sailbainbridge.com. And if you want more info on the sail to ski trips, visit the number 2 skicom That excursion, I have to tell you, sounds like a blast. That wraps up this week's show. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would be really great if you could leave a comment in Apple Podcasts because more positive reviews there help bump the show's rating. As always, I also love hearing from listeners, so feel free to reach out to me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next week, smooth sailing.